The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 125. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position, that's wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're we're continuing our discussion of the uh, end of Season three of the reboot season, uh, the reboot uh, series from 2005. Uh, we're discussing the episode "The Sound of Drums," uh, which is the, as we were talking about before, the boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> That's not annoying at all. We won't do that the whole episode, folks. No, 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 we won't. <laughs> Joining me today on the panel, as always, are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, Dom. Folks, remember to like the Secrets of Doctor Who page on Facebook. We have a page there, uh, and uh, we have some great conversations with folks. We have people who like the episodes and comment on them as they come up, and we often share those comments and our feedback, and we'd love for you to join the conversation. And when you do like the episodes there, that helps uh, spread the, the love, spread the news that there is, that we have this podcast, and we're talking about Doctor Who. So if you could do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And we'd love to have you join us there if you're on Facebook. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at SQPN and you can retweet the episodes as we post them there every week. Uh, but comment and, and, and share and do all that stuff. And we love to hear from you and to interact with you. I mean, right now it's just the three of us talking, but but this is about a community and we love to engage with you as well. And we have so many uh, new friends that we've made through the the listeners to this podcast and so uh, it's such a blast and send us feedback so we'll have feedback to share yes we don't have feedback this week we've had feedback rec in recent weeks but no feedback this week so uh we want to hear from you so let's hear from you we're continuing our discussion of the sound of this one is the sound of drums so this is the mm -hmm. the three harold saxon master episodes uh as we finish out season three and uh the martha jones oh. season yep uh, and, go ahead I was just going to say the Martha Jones season. Okay, yes. And so uh, it aired in June of 2007, and uh, we, we had uh, what the the one last one was the Utopia. This one we're talking about the the sound of drums, and the next one is called Last of the Time Lords. Uh, all right, so uh, we have Martha and Jack. We're at the Doctor. Uh, finally, Harold Saxon's identity is revealed. So. So this episode starts, it really drops us into the middle of things. We're on a street in London, and suddenly the Dr. Jack and Martha materialize, and they're all out of breath. And we we learn via flashback how they got away from the year one trillion, because when we last saw them, the master ditched them there as they were being attacked by the future kind. And so we learned that the doctor quickly repaired as they were holding the door shut against the future kind they uh the doctor quickly repaired jack's time wrist 
Vortex manipulator. Yeah, and so now they've jumped back to 21st century England. Because the Doctor has the TARDIS, and thus TARDIS separation. The Master has the TARDIS. Yes, Yes. I'm sorry, the the, the Master. Uh, So we have TARDIS separation, which is one of the... Very separated. Yes, one of our key... Uh, Doctor Who plot devices is uh, yes. either have TARDIS separation, companion separation, or sometimes sonic screwdriver separation. Uh, those things often drive the uh, plot of a particular episode. So this is the TARDIS separation here. And uh, and that's a big deal because, as we'll see, uh, w- you, it, the, having the TARDIS would have changed so much about the plot of this episode. The Doctor... Oh, well, mm-hmm. And in fact, restoring the TARDIS completely undoes the plot of this episode, the year that never happened. Exactly. But that's that's next episode. Yes, that is exactly. the episode that never happened yet. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but so now we have this uh, this whole big thing about the identity of Harold Saxon, the new prime minister of Britain just elected. And it's revealed that he's now the the master. And they've been building this. They've been laying the groundwork for this since. The Runaway Bride, the Christmas episode mm-hmm. with uh, with Donna Noble, uh, a, a year and a half prior to this. So this was June 2007. And so it was uh, the Christmas episode. 18 months ago. Yeah. And, and so that's a that's a long way to uh, to go back to, uh, you know, to set this up and laying the laying the breadcrumbs for us. And so now we have. This and and we have this video, this uh, news broadcast and uh, of of the uh, the master talking about uh, need, Britain needs a doctor or something along those lines. Yeah, and then I, I wondered about that because they're just in this like street, and there are several TV, several giant screen televisions up on lampposts, and I'm right. going, do they really have free public television screens on lampposts in the UK? Uh, maybe they were celebrating the election of a new government or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it seems put up a bunch of TVs. Yeah, very convenient. And uh, and so they have to do research on Harold Saxon and the master. And they go to his website and they see these uh, endorsement videos of the of of Harold Saxon oh, yes. by mm-hmm. uh, Sharon Osborne. Uh, right. The, this group I called McFly. Uh, yep. I'm old and don't know them. <laughs> I don't and, know them either, but and uh, Anne Widcombe, which Widcombe, uh, yeah, Widcombe. she is. I I have I don't know her personally, but I have a bit of a connection to her because she is a Catholic Answers constituent. Really? Uh, she yeah, she uh, converted from Anglicanism to Catholicism, and she's a very serious Catholic. And so, um, when Catholic Answers has gone to England before, we've you know met up with her and stuff like that. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that's cool. So so who is for the listeners who don't know, who is Ann Whitcomb? Oh, she's she's a conservative politician. She she was. She recently she retired a few years ago. But um but she's here uh doing a little cameo where she says, I think Harold Saxon's a great guy. She's standing right next to him. Yes. And she's saying, I think Harold Saxon is a great guy. He's a fine man and handsome too. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly yes. having fun here. Yes. Uh, and so and no, they don't quite tell us that it, that Harold Saxon is either labor or conservative. I think they kind oh, of they, they, they kind of imply they that have, he's like his own thing. Yeah, yeah he's, he's kind of he, just broken he, off from all the parties because, yeah. he you know, there's the scene coming up here where he's first meeting with the cabinet, only meeting with the cabinet and calls them all. You know, that traitors, they, they, tra- traitors. Right. Yeah, they've tra- they're traitors to their parties that as soon as his ship was in ascension, they immediately jumped. 
Yeah. And he says you abandoned your parties. Okay. And so it's that that's how they handle it. He's not clearly Tory or Labour or Lib Dem. Um, He's 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 the Saxon party. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, so the, that drumbeat we talked we talked about and we demonstrated for you so amusingly uh, at the start uh, that that four note. So a lo- there's there's a lot of uh, fans who are under the impression that that comes from the opening bars of Ron Grainer's original Doctor Who theme song. Uh, but mm-hmm. Russell T Davies is on Says. record is, is saying that it was inspired by the sound of his alarm clock. And that okay. it's not the theme song. Oh, that's funny. Maybe, maybe not. But um, the fact is you put it on a show that has that in its iconic opening theme and you later explain it as the uh, in in the end of time special as the heartbeat of a time lord who are known to have two hearts. Right. And so it, in context, it's going to take on that meaning regardless of where mm-hmm. you got the idea. I have to wonder, too, is this. Did did someone realize if we say it was inspired by Grainer's theme, we have Do to we pay have him to royalties? Pay. <laughs> <laughs> there could be some of that, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the maker of uh, the alarm clock is so far anonymous, so they probably don't have to worry too much about it. Well, yeah, the, the alarm <laughs> clock beep is probably, you know, a, a five cent chip from China that no one even knows who actually invented it in the first place. So Right. Right. But in, in the show, as soon as they land and as soon as we start building up to the TV screen reveal of the master, you know, people are like there's a homeless guy tapping a coin on a cup yeah. in that rhythm and other people yep. are doing it. We see people like listening to their earbuds and they're patting their hands on their legs doing that rhythm. And at one moment, as the doctor is is talking to Martha about Harold Saxon, Martha starts doing it without even realizing it. Right. Yeah, which right. is we, creepy. It's uh yes. And. Now, speaking of Martha, she's confused now by Harold Saxon. I mean, because she knows she recognizes him. He's a politician. What does he have to do? She was going to vote for him. Right. And and what is what does he have to do with Professor Yana? And so this is where she learns about regeneration for the first time. She's she had not known that the doctor could change appearances. Uh, Right. And well, it was it was interesting because this was they they did kind of twist the typical trope of the doctor knows everything. In this, yeah. because who's the first one to recognize who the master was? Martha. She right. goes because mm-hmm. as soon as he he regenerated and she heard his voice, it's like I know that voice. Where do I know that voice? And then of course they get to Earth and she makes that connection immediately. Oh, that voice I heard was Harold Sax Harold Saxton. He's been under you know, our nose the whole time, right? And the doctor's going, oh, I didn't <laughs> catch that, right? Yeah. <laughs> And and they have to provide an explanation for why the doctor didn't catch it, because he tells them, you know, when they're looking for the master who they haven't seen at this point, they say, well, how are how are we going to know him when we find him? And the doctor says, I'll know. Time Lords always know. And so and they previously, as far back as the ninth doctor, Christopher Eccleston, have explained that that's how the doctor knows there are no Time Lords left is he would sense them mm-hmm. if there were. And so they've got to explain, well, how can the master have been here on Earth for 18 months, uh, that year and a half since the wedding special? Um, and the doctor has not noticed him all this time. It's because the master has this archangel network cell phone of cell phone satellites that are mm-hmm. putting out a low level telepathic field that are both influencing the population and masking the master so the doctor can't sense him. 
you know, it's interesting how the Archangel Network, that whole thing, is very similar to the 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 Cybermen Network from the the parallel world. Yeah, uh, our, it's, the lesson is clear: our mobile phones are out to get us. <laughs> yes, well, they are, but <laughs> and uh, so it, it's very interesting that the Doctor is not just surprised that the Master is Prime Minister, but he's also like even more surprised that he has a wife. He's really shocked by this idea, uh, which is interesting that the doctor would be shocked by this, uh, given that, you know, that you think at some point in all these regenerations, and especially given his his, you know, his uh, uh, relationship of whatever sort with Rose. Yeah, well, but I mean, think about it from the doctor's point of view. The doctor is views himself as the hero, as, you know, a mm-hmm. stable mm-hmm. guy who could responsibly get married and have a granddaughter named Susan and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas the master is this crazy man. Mm-hmm. How is he going to get anyone to marry him? You know, yes. it'd, be, it, it'd be like suddenly learning your your enemy that you've been battling for all these all these years or centuries who's who's never had a romantic relationship is suddenly married it's like he has never paid attention to hollywood <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> all those crazy people who managed to find people to marry them <laughs> so uh speaking of, like we mentioned that saxon's meeting with this cabinet uh so the master saxon sits down with the cabinet for the first time and kills them all like a batman supervillain would <laughs> i i love i love the way he i love this scene this is one of two scenes yep. in this episode that i really love where he sits down with the cabinet the first thing he does is let the business of government begin and he throws all his folders up in the air scattering papers everywhere and then he has this funny or not f- funny thing yes with uh, one of the ministers and then he and then he calls them all traitors and he puts on a gas mask and Mm -hmm. the minister says what are you wearing and he's and he says (laughs) what and he takes it off it's a gas mask and he puts it back on why are you wearing it because of the gas Uh, what because of the gas what gas and then he at that point gases them all aggressively it's very aggressive gas and, yes. and oh, by the way, it, you know, don't trust those conference room phones. You know, the little things that sit on the on the <laughs> yeah. middle of the Maybe. desk. They're really gas dispensers. Yeah. That's and, right. And, and as they're all dying, the minister turns to him and says, "You're insane!" And he looks back, wearing the gas max, and gives him two big thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am disappointed that Davies did not write in, "Are you my mummy?" I mean, come on! If you're going to have a gas mask mm. at this point, you've got to have, "Are you my mummy?" But uh, but yes, no, that was that was actually funny. Stephen Moffat would have. He would have. Oh, yes. That's right. Um, yeah, I liked that in that scene where he's like, I'm not like and then grin. And then it, I'm like, frown. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't yeah. frown because you're traitors. So Martha points out that it's only been four days uh, in the 21st century time span of her life since she met the doctor. Like that whole the 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 uh, hospital getting taken to the moon was only four days ago. Uh, so a lot, a lot has happened in the uh, in the world in those four days. And subjectively, subjectively, and they've been flying around space and time. Uh, well, all the time, you know, Harold Saxon's been right there on the uh, in London, mm-hmm. and uh, so then we and we also uh, we find out that Mel, uh, that Martha's. I almost said Melanie. <laughs> Mar, <laughs> Mar, <laughs> a little pretty stuff. Martha's sister Tish has been hired to work at 10 Downing Street, the residence of the prime minister. And she's not quite sure why or what she's doing there. 
I, I love the uh, she's left a phone message for Martha to tell her this. And Martha mm-hmm. listens to the first part of the message and she hears Chase saying, you won't believe it. I just got this new job. And and she stops listening to the message and says, oh, like it matters because she's so concerned about the master. <laughs> right, and doesn't right. know what her sister was about to reveal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, always listen to your messages, Martha. And and by the way, this is the newly rebuilt 10 Downing Street since the they destroyed it with the Slovenes. Yeah. And we do get a reference to Harriet Jones here as well, that yep. uh, that uh, ever since the Harriet Jones episode, because you remember the doctor uh, is, after Harriet Jones shot up the um, the ship, the Christmas Sycorax. ship, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Sycorax ship, Sycorax ship. Thank you. Uh, with the Torchwood weapon, he manipulated things to make it so that she would be retired. That Oh, doesn't she look tired yeah. and sickly? And and yeah. so there's this whole they reference to that short golden age, very short yeah. golden age, and uh, and so th- that opened the door. So the doctor is somewhat responsible for opening the door to let Harold Saxon become prime minister. So he's a bit responsible for this. Yeah, and he was uh, his first act was uh, being the minister in charge of setting up the Archangel Network. We've learned this when this reporter Vivian Rook, who who starts out to be. Uh, she looks like vapid and manipulating and sort of a, a, a bizarre, like a gossip reporter. Kind of a busybody. Yeah, busybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although she says, she, she says she wrote the definitive think piece on Harold Saxon. Right, right. Um, she wheedles her way into uh, Lucy Saxon's uh, office to, to do a sit-down interview with her. But then as soon as she's alone with her, she's, she reveals that she knows what Saxon is and she's trying to warn her. And I'm thinking, like, does, why do you assume that she doesn't know who he really is? Like, I mean, exactly. Well, I think she I mean, her assumption. And by the way, I really like Vivian Rook. She reminds me, actually, uh, quite a bit of Harriet Jones. Yeah, um, it's not the same actress, but it's much the same vibe personality wise. And she can come across as being just very serious. And um, but she knows that. Everything in Harold Saxon's life is window dressing, that he's really only been here for 18 months. The the scam, she says, is like screamingly obvious, but no one notices it. And she assumes, therefore, that uh, Lucy Saxon is just more of the window dressing and is as taken mm-hmm. in as everybody. But she wants to flip her to try to help expose all of this so the public will finally take note. Right. But it turns out Lucy's in on it and uh, Saxon shows up in the room. He kind of just pops into existence in the room somehow. I, I thought it was yeah, interesting. By, by, by the way, I found it a straining credibility to think that they would not have security personnel in this room. Yeah. Exactly. I can't imagine the first lady of the United States being left alone with a reporter, especially in this kind of casual way. Um, right. Without pat downs and weapons checks and background checks and. Without- and- and without at least someone, uh, you know, like Secret yeah. Service sitting in the corner. Even yeah. If he's just sitting there reading a paper, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if that's standard protocol um, to, to always have someone in the room. I'm not sure it is. Well, they gesture at it because Tish says, well, I'm supposed to stay. And, yeah. And Vivian pushes her out of the room anyway. Yeah. Well, because mm-hmm. Tish is. <laughs> but it but it should yeah. be a secure someone there with a gun. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, there's, there's so much that happens <laughs> with uh, Harold Saxon that doesn't make any sense from a security standpoint, the whole cabinet thing, uh, mm-hmm. th- that should never have been able to happen. 
But I thought by, it was. By, go ahead. By, by the way, notice when Saxon comes into the room, he refers to Lucy as my faithful companion. Using I was literally that, about to say that. Yep. That yep. word. And that's going to turn out to be literally true. Before she was his wife, she was the master's companion. Right. It's a, that sort of uh, mirror dark version of that idea of the of companion, the doctor's companions. Lucy right. is a master. Did the master ever have companions before? Um, I'm it trying really to depends how you define it. Because if you yeah. look at the, on the wiki, they actually do list master's companions, and it basically yeah. ends up being people who worked with the master temporarily, oh, like okay. uh, like uh, what's his name, the um, Oriental guy from San Francisco in the TV movie. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and and maybe Adric once I forget. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but henchmen and, and dupes. Yeah. Yeah. And in much. big fi- in big finish, they've expanded on this kind of stuff. And he has much more substantial companions, including like in um, the first volume of the war master. Uh, mm-hmm. He has he has a, a running companion uh, who like wants to try to save a planet. And the master's going, it's not going to work. But you want to try to save this planet? I won't stop you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he's kind of his the morally ambiguous Derek Jacobi master. Okay. Um, also, in Big Finish, they have the monk uh, has had companions, mm. and the uh, and and even one of the doctor's own companions went over and became the monk's companion for a while. Interesting. So in this scene, we have it, it finishes with the, these four spheres popping into existence in the room uh, at the doctor's command, uh, which. Four is an interesting number because if there are four beats in the drum beat, we have four spheres. Four keeps popping up in this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny. The uh, female sphere says, uh, the lady doesn't like us. And the male, the male voice sphere, silly lady. And then it says, dead lady. And they have these <laughs> spiky knives come out and start swirling around like crazy. And so the implication is she's about to be sliced up into tiny yeah. pieces. Uh, that would make a lot of mess in that room, don't you think? I thought the same thing i don't know mm-hmm. how they dealt with the mess it but was they, kind of funny they, the door opening and closing thing. yeah i was <laughs> yeah. gonna say i love they they so the master hustles lucy out of the room and closes the door this is like a totally soundproof door because you cannot hear vivian rook screaming and then he opens the door a little bit and you hear the screaming resume suddenly and he <laughs> yes. closes it again and he's like all ooh, he's making this unpleasant facial expression in reaction to what's happened to her <laughs> and then he opens the door again and the screaming instantly pops back on and he closes it again and he puts his finger up to his mouth and bites it in horror yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh martha and jack uh this is where uh, when they sit, talk about they they've always liked harold saxon but they and would have voted for him but they can't think of a single policy stance of his that they favored or and this is when the doctor gets the idea that the archangel network you know, that people were hypnotized into into supporting him and voting for him and ignoring the inconsistencies about him. Uh, then Saxon goes on TV and he announces that uh, these aliens are coming and they're going to we're going to be our friends. And he calls them the Toclophane, which the doctor says it's like it, it's a Gallifreyan fairy tale. It's like the yeah. seven dwarves. Mm hmm. Uh, and so uh, or the bo- the bogeyman, he says, the bo- yeah, the yes, the bogeyman or bogeyman, which. American. That's the American that. pronunciation. Yeah. The, yeah. the bad pronunciation. Let's be honest here. Bogey is much better. Uh, so. <laughs> we do talk about bogeys on radar returns. We do. We do, actually. Yes. Uh, so that's why we have a bad uh, pronunciation of boogeyman. 
the uh, the master then blows up Martha's apartment. He's, he's trying to blow up the doctor and Martha and uh, Jack. Uh, Very with cartoonish, a- by the way. I love the the dynamite looks just like a stereotypical Looney Tunes bundle of dynamite. Yes, it was a uh, sort of a, like just like a like again like a a Batman supervillain bomb from you know from back yep. in the uh, the the 60s version of Batman very cartoonish and then uh and so they have to go on the run and uh yep. Martha is trying to call her mom the doctor's every time the doctor tells Martha not to do something she says I don't care and does it anyway yeah like in she's this case, totally specific, off specifically I'll do what I want right right i mean she is totally off the reservation he is complete at this point the doctor is almost completely powerless to fix anything, to to influence anybody, everything's running out of his control. In mm-hmm. in fact, they point this out earlier when they're in Martha's apartment. Uh, they say, "Well, if the master's got the TARDIS, he could be anywhere in space and time." And and the doctor's like, "Nope, that's the one thing I could do." And we saw him do this in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. As the as the master was stealing the TARDIS, the doctor did something with the sonic screwdriver that caused a little explosion on the TARDIS console. And now right. we find out what that was. The doctor was locking the coordinates so that the TARDIS can only travel between its present location in the year uh, one trillion and its last location, which was like in Martha's apartment in 2008, I guess, since this is a year ahead of the, mm-hmm. what's being aired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can only bounce back and forth between those two locations right now. So it's so it's like locking the TARDIS browser to the back button only. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and so you can hit the forward and back button, but that's it. Except because he's a time lord and because plot reasons, the master has a little fudge room and the doctor says, oh, well, maybe he could vary it by 18 months, but that's it. And so that well, explains how he's been here all this time. It, it It is also the TARDIS, which has been shown to be unreliable on a good day. So, <laughs> right. So the the when the doctor finally gets on the phone with uh, the master, the master like his reaction, Saxon's reaction is almost like he's cra- he craves hearing the doctor's voice. It's it's mm-hmm. like yeah, it's oh, it's a comfort almost to him to hear it. It's very interesting this relationship. Yeah, this is the other re- scene I really liked because um, it starts. He's the master. By the way, so they. You know, they pursued Martha's family and Martha insisted on trying to drive to them to find them. And um, and and actually her dad was the one who her supposed deadbeat dad is Mm -hmm. the one who warns her. Mom didn't warn her, but dad did. And so dad makes good. And uh, and so they go on the run and Martha decides to call her brother to warn him. And while she's talking to her brother, the master breaks in on the line and starts taunting Martha over her own phone. And he's he's sitting in, in his cabinet meeting room talking to her over speakerphone. But when she puts the doctor on and he realizes he gets a chance to talk to the doctor, he switches the call to his own mobile phone that he puts right up to his ear. So it's much more intimate yep. for him to talk to the doctor than it was to Martha. Mm. Uh, y- yes. Um, <laughs> the doctor says, "Oh, master," and in Saxon's, "I like you when you use my name." And <laughs> you chose yeah. it. Psychiatrist Field Day, as you chose yours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's a little bit of uh, back and forth. Then 
Yeah. It, and it so, was interesting. They kind of set up the, uh, the idea of the war master here, too, where the doctor specifically says, so why did they resurrect you? Right. Yeah. To be a warrior in the time war. But he didn't know that Gallifrey and the Time Lords are gone. Uh, that right, was that's interesting. He, he wasn't there for the whole war. He explained what happened. He says, I was there when the Dalek Emperor took control of the Cruciform, and I ran, and I made myself human to hide. And he says, because I was so scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for the Master to it, be vulnerable like that is, and to admit it to his yep. best frenemy is, <laughs> is striking. But that's why he didn't see the end of the time warts, because he ran away to become a human. And, and then when he, when he realizes that it was the doctor who caused Gallifrey to burn, he, he says, you must have been like God. Not, no, notice, not a God. Right. The, the God. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very, and is something that the master himself probably would, would, would fantasize about doing. Mm-hmm. He also uh, mocks the doctor for ticking every demographic box in his choice yeah. of companions. That uh, was fun. That was a, that was a nice meta moment. It's yeah. like, yes, yep. we know this is this goes into show producer thinking, so we're acknowledging it now, right? Uh, and then he also says he sent Torchwood on a wild goose chase to the Himalayas, thus you know explaining why Jack's team is no isn't available. Uh, yeah. So there's that. He he also starts watching them on security camera footage. And this was a big deal at the time that mm-hmm. it's like London is covered in security cams. Right. And there are security concerns about that. And today people, I guess, maybe have just kind of gotten used to it because we don't see news stories about it, at least here in America as much. Right. But he starts watching the doctor on the security cams and it's like, you're on telly. <laughs> right. Yeah, because he puts him on the television uh, in front of him. Mm-hmm. And actually, it is it is kind of interesting. We talked about about the security cams. I think we've almost kind of hit the point, even here in America, where it's kind of flipped, where people are almost upset there isn't more security cam coverage for certain things. Yeah. So when something happens in the news, people are upset that we don't have footage of it. Yeah, I'm I well, I'm not upset about that, but I find myself um, because I don't watch news, but I find myself uh, watching like detective shows. And mm-hmm. things, and it's like, okay, so where's the security cam footage? Today, this would all be solved, but back in yeah. Columbo's day, they didn't have that. Exactly right. That and uh, various telephone things that they they can't do. Yeah, just like they have to you know pull over and call in, you know, instead of just you know <laughs> mm-hmm. hitting the the Bluetooth button on their car. So Martha uh, makes a joke about the master being the do- doctor's secret brother, and he gives her a weird look. Yeah, he says you've been watching too much TV, but this was a, a huge fan theory that the Doctor and the Master are really brothers, and there's some evidence for that on screen. There's an episode, uh, Planet of Fire, uh, in the Peter Davison era, where the Master is being consumed by flames at the end, and he says to the Doctor, won't you even have mercy on your own? And then he gets consumed by the flames. And so we don't hear the noun that should have followed the the pronoun. <laughs> um, but fans have widely thought it should be brother. And mm. in the Stephen Moffat era, we get a little more evidence of this because when Clara is made present at the in the barn when the doctor's a little boy, we mm. hear the Gallifreyan lady talking about the boys and mm-hmm. how this was this space was for them. And so my in my own headcanon, they're definitely brothers. 
But but he says you've been watching too much TV, and I can't help wondering if that's a reference to the Planet of Fire episode, which gave us <laughs> on-screen evidence. Right. <laughs> also, speaking of watching too much TV, the master is watching the Teletubbies. Yes, and, and he thinks it's like a real species on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> television in their stomachs. Now that's evolution. <laughs> I That struck a chord for me because when I first encountered the Teletubbies, I had no idea what they were. I came home one night. This was, I guess, in the 90s. I came home one night and I turned on PBS and it was a Saturday night at like 1130 at night. And for some reason, they were showing the Teletubbies. Uh, college and, and, kids smoking illicit substances. Well, probably. OK, <laughs> point taken, point taken. However, <laughs> however, um, you know, this is not a normal time or for a children's program. And so yep. I, I thought. It was performance art. It was so <laughs> bizarre. I thought it was some kind of high budget performance art. Oh, it is. Yeah. Now it just turns out it's low, low budget children's television. Stay tuned for Secrets of Teletubbies on our, on the SQPN network. <laughs> yeah. Again, you can Again. have that one, Dom. <laughs> so you know, the doctor, I, you know, I I have a trick for. It, it, they say if you want to memorize vocabulary in other languages, you want to uh, use the silliest mnemonic devices possible. Mm -hmm. So to remember the word for again, because that's one of the things the Teletubbies say when they want something to happen again. I imagine the, the Teletubbies saying the word in whatever language I'm memorizing. So in Greek, the Teletubbies say pollen, pollen. And in Latin, <laughs> in Latin, the Teletubbies say iterum, iterum. That is an interesting <laughs> mnemonic device. <laughs> the uh, so back back to the Doctor Who. The uh, the Doctor's in the warehouse with Jack and Martha. They're on the run, and he tells them about Gallifrey and the Time Lords. And uh, he describes you know Gallifrey the the shining world of the seven systems and on the continent of wild endeavor and the mountains of solace and solitude. And it sounds so grandiose, but when you think about it, our names for things for geographical locations are are that we just use different yeah. languages for them. Like, Oh, the Rio Grande river literally means the big river river. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, sort of thing. Well, if well, we just translate things into English, it would be, it would sound as, like that. I, I do that as a game for myself. When I'm, mm -hmm. when I'm driving, I'll translate, I'll back translate into English, what this must mean. But, but the big river doesn't sound as grandiose as but, the continent of wild endeavor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but that's something that was pointed pointed out as far back, at least, as the seventh Doctor, because there's an episode of of um, of uh, mm, Sylvester McCoy's Doctor where he is coming back to where he left the hand of Rassilon in 1963, mm -hmm. and and Ace calls him on it, and it's like, okay, it's really a weapon, but we give things fancy names, <laughs> right. yeah. Well, the Gallifreyans are, are kind of a bombastic uh, race of people. So the, <laughs> we also find out that the Gallifreyan children are exposed to the untempered schism, the raw power of time and space. At uh, age at, eight. At age eight. Uh, that's sort of their first communion and confirmation, I guess. <laughs> so, and But this drives the master insane when he's exposed to it, uh, is the doctor's theory. And, yeah, he says some, some of uh, this is their initiation into the Time Lord Academy. And he mm -hmm. says, some are inspired, some run away, and some went mad. And Martha says, what about you? He says, I ran. I never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Although he ran much later than eight years much old. Much later. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so did Gallifrey the master. And children look much older than we do. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
Yeah. All, all, but um, the master also did end up going to the Academy because as we learned in his very first appearance in Terror of the Autons, he had a higher degree in cosmic science than the doctor did. And That's the doctor right. says, I was a late mm-hmm. developer. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he had a terminal degree. Uh, so the, <laughs> Jack uh, then explains that Torchwood isn't what the doctor remembers, that he's been trying to make it better. Um, that's the doctor is really mad to learn that Jack is part of Torchwood. Right, right. And and Jack's well, trying to, can, I swear to you, it's different, he says. Well, you can understand since Torchwood was literally founded by Queen Victoria to hunt down the doctor. Right. Or any other uh, alien threats like alien the doctor. Alien threat, but specifically yeah. the doctor. You know? <laughs> so they get a, a recorded message from that reporter who had been killed, Vivian Rook, about the Archangel she, Network. She is so great. I would love to see more of her. But she's only in this one episode. Yes, and uh, apparently, well, in the year that never happened, if the year that never happened, that means she's probably not dead. Then. No, she's still, she died before the paradox started. Oh, yep. right, right, right. The paradox, when the paradox machine starts, we'll get to that. So uh, the doctor uses some of his spare TARDIS keys to make perception filters out of uh, various bits and pieces uh, so mm-hmm. that they can walk around without people perceiving them. They, they're not invisible, but they're just, um, not noticeable. Not, yeah. Also, we get a little more introvert. Oh, sorry for introverts. That'd be sure nice to have one. A little portable <laughs> perception, perception filter. filter. Yes. Don't mm. look at me. <laughs> um, we also get a little more info on the Toclophane, uh, because the, the, a couple of the spheres show up to talk, or at least one shows up to talk to the master and it's fearful. It's saying the never ending darkness is coming and the great cold and, we don't know what that's a reference to, but the doctor promises uh, that the master promises that he'll fix the problem tomorrow when they mm-hmm. have their big public unveiling. Right. And uh, go back and tell your people. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll find out all about the Toclophane and their origin, their horrible, horrible origin uh, in the the last of the Time Lords episode next week. Uh, so uh, I do want to mention, like when when they when they get these perception filters, Jack, uh, the doctor says, it's like, it's like when you fancy someone and they don't even know you exist. Uh, or Martha says that. Yeah. And, and Jack says to Martha, Oh, you too, huh? So we're supposed to, I think, get this idea that Jack fancies the doctor or something like that. Right. They? Oh, we're definitely meant to understand. Oh, that. There, there, there's, yeah. there's no subtlety there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> subtlety is not Jack's thing. I, I do like the way they filmed that, though, when the doctor put on that that filter where they yes. just shifted the camera. They just keep moving it to the left as Martha's left, trying yeah, to look they, at it. Back him. and forth. I, I thought that was so ne- so cool the way they filmed yeah. that. I think that that was very effective to show kind of how it works. Yeah, because well, they don't they don't make him invisible. But they, he says, Martha, look at me. And he puts on the key and the and her gaze just keeps moving. And it's like and he's talking to her and waving at her. But she's yeah. like, I know you're there, but I, I don't, I don't want to know it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. It uses the the our own understanding, our own uh, built in understanding of how uh, TV shows should be framed on camera to kind of mess with us a little bit. When the because when you move the camera off of the main character, you're not you're not seeing them anymore. So it, it's that yeah, it's very effective. So Harold Saxon meets with the uh, the the president elect of the United States, who's a little ticked at him for uh, a little <laughs> for uh, <laughs> violating the protocol that the security UN Security Council decided on in 1968 on proper first contact, and tells him that unit is in charge. Um, 
He also says that protocol says it can't hop- happen on sovereign soil, so it takes place on the carrier Valiant, which... Yeah, and, and this this is interesting. So, uh, first of all, we have a president-elect. He's acting like a president. Right. You know, yeah. President-elects. Pre- the, the real president at this moment would be the one doing this, not the president-elect. Exactly. Um, right. We eventually learn his name, which is Arthur Coleman Winters. And there's apparently been this 1968 protocol on first contact, which presumably would have like coincided with the founding of unit or something like that. Right. Um, and it's, it's obviously the laws in the Hooniverse are different than in the real universe because he tells Saxon, there are petitions at the UN because of what he's done. There are petitions at the UN to have him removed from office. If, um, yeah. if, if, if he doesn't do things right. And that's like the UN in the real world could never, remove a uh, he- sovereign head of state from office. Um, right. I mean, first of all, they don't have the power. And secondly, they're not efficient enough to actually get the vote <laughs> in to vote to yeah. do it. So, right. Yeah. But I like the thought that went into the first contact should not take place on sovereign soil. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because that would tend to elevate one nation above others in terms of dealing with aliens. Yeah. It could make sense to say, okay, if we know we're going to have a diplomatic meeting, it should be a neutral territory. Right. right. So interesting uh, to think about also, uh, given that this is 2007, it was filmed, it was uh, set, it, it set in 2008. That's when there was a U.S. presidential election. So that between hmm. uh, Good point. November and, uh, and uh January, January when the president gets sworn in. That's when this must be occurring. Uh yep. and although it they, they're not wearing overcoats, so who knows? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's also eighteen months after Christmas, which would mean June. Right, right. Exactly. So uh, then we have uh he is a bit of a George W. Bush look alike. People observed at the time. Kinda. I don't think so much, but I think there is this vibe of they really took pokes at George W. Bush, like in the Harriet Jones era. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, and they were mocking Tony Blair implicitly. Right. Um, Here we have some of the same tension because, you know, America's the larger power economically and militarily and so forth these days. But we have this historic connection to England. And there's a little bit of tension in terms mm-hmm. of England wants its props. You know, right. the UK wants its props. They don't want Americans just barging in and bossing people around and stuff, which is sort of what happens here, except the the president in this scene is um, is doing this because of the UN. Mm-hmm. So he's acting on behalf of the UN. So he's not really just being a pushy American. And I thought that was interesting that we get a little more sympathy for the U.S. president right. than we have previously on the show. But in when the when they get to the Valiant, we do have a throwaway line of dialogue where he's saying, I want my seal on this, not the U.N. seal. Right. And so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of the pushy American coming out here. And then contrast this with the regeneration episode, which we've already discussed, where we also have a U.S. president. But at that by that point, it's Obama and the treatment that oh, I don't yeah. want to get too much into the politics. Sycophantic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a much different feeling about U.S. presidents by that point. So the doctor, uh, the doctor says the master is a time lord. He's his responsibility. 
He's here to save him, not kill him. And I'm thinking, so how many people are going to die as a result of your decision to yep. save the Time Lord exactly. and not kill him? Yep. Uh, so a tenth uh, of the population is going to die. Well, yeah, it's, the, uh, there's, there's a phrase for that, too. It's called savior complex. Mm. Right, right. And it, it, uh, it, it, for all his uh, bombast about, you know, being the, the guardian of humans on Earth, when it comes down to saving the Gallifreyan, and even if he happens to be his brother, that takes precedence. So that's, you know, mm. and, and to be fair, that's that's not exactly out of character, especially with the new who when yeah. there wasn't. You know, the, the idea that all of a sudden I'm not the last one. There is one more. And yes, he is completely, totally insane, but he's still one of my race. So yeah. it's understandable. Right, right. No, that's true. Uh, and given given what they later establish about Time Lord regenerations, he could, this wouldn't have necessarily been in his head at the time because it hadn't been established. But given what we know now, he could view them as potential Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. That's and true. rebirth the race. That true. That doesn't bear to think about that too much. So no. the Valiant <laughs> is uh, apparently a shield helicarrier. Uh, I could imagine <laughs> yeah. Peter Capaldi marrying Missy. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, I, um, that's fine. Let's not talk about that too much. Anyways, so the Valiant, the, hel- the, the Valiant the, the, the is Avengers, a shield helicarrier, the, basically. Uh, that yeah, the Avengers show up. Oh, I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, uh, Saxon makes a joke about grits being American. That was a, a, a nice yeah. funny moment. He says, "What are and he says, what are grits anyway?" So, for everyone who doesn't know, <laughs> speaking as a Southerner, grits are ground hominy, yeah. and hominy is a, is a preparation of corn that has been soaked in an alkali solution, which makes it puff up and take on a new texture. So, you alkalize the corn. Then you dry it out. Then you grind it up to make the grits. Then you pour water in the grits and you heat the grits so that it becomes a kind of paste. And then you uh, give flavor to the grits by adding butter or hot sauce or half whatever a, you want to add. Half a stick of butter. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's corn mush. <clears throat> Very yummy. The master has turned the TARDIS, uh, but we find out the master turned the TARDIS into a paradox machine uh which we, we're not told yet what it, what a paradox machine is uh we're eventually going to find that out in the next episode yeah uh, and notice martha immediately says well why don't you turn it off and the doctor says touch one bit and you the wrong bit and you blow up the solar system that's going to create a plot problem in the next episode because when they when they when they finally deal with the paradox machine they're not doing some delicate procedure they're just shooting bullets at it right yep. right so they're potentially blowing up the solar system. Uh, the master, while he's watching uh, Winter uh, get ready to be uh, annihilated because he knows what's about to happen, uh, he's sitting with Lucy eating jelly babies with, mm-hmm. with her. Uh, a nice reference to the fourth doctor. And mm-hmm. um, he orders the Toclafane to kill the president, uh, captures the doctor, kills Jack, uh, although he knows Jack is uh, going to coming uh, back. coming back. Uh, I like the glee of the master. It's like the great thing about killing him is I can do it again in just a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Very missy uh, of missy like of him, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, Michelle Gomez does it better. But uh, it's he it's it's fun to see him doing it, though. Yes, um, yes. He also unveils he's got a laser screwdriver, which Roger Delgado's master had. And he and yep. he, we have another little meta moment where he says, who would want Sonic? Right. You know, right. Because obviously <laughs> laser is better than Sonic. Lasers are always uh, better than Sonic. 
<laughs> but he's also put the technology from Dr. Lazarus also all the way back to the Lazarus experiment. The master has been setting up the doctor. Yep. And Lazarus had this biotech that would affect your age if you had someone's biosignature. And he's compacted that technology now so his his laser screwdriver can do it. And he says, if only I had the doctor's bio biological code. Oh, I do. And he unveils he's got the hand. Right. The disembodied hand. Mm -hmm. um, so he then ages the doctor to where he's like physically 100 years older. Yeah. Uh, and he looks like uh, he, he ends up he'll end up eventually not yet, but eventually he'll end up looking like one of the house elves from Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, yeah. OK. I was going to say a tiny homunculus, but then I haven't seen many Harry Potter movies. Yeah, he, he'll, he'll be a. Yeah, the, the, the special effects the for the, the, the super advanced doctor were not good. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. yeah. The makeup here is actually pretty good. On, on, it is uh, pretty good. Janet. Yeah, I have to say that. Uh, then uh, the the uh, master activates the paradox machine, which opens up a rift between here and wherever the Toclophane are, which we'll find out is the end of the yeah. universe. And, and <clears throat> as he does, as he does that, we have a pop culture uh, incorporation into the show because they start playing a song since the masters had this drum beat in his head that they've yep. been making a big deal of. Yep. They play some song I've never heard of before, but it's obviously a pop song called Here Come the Drums. Uh, well, it's actually, so it's called, actually Voodoo called Child. Voodoo oh, is Child. It? Okay. And yeah. it's actually... Where the title, The Sound of Drums, comes from, because that's one of the lines from the song. The and then, of course, the master yeah. says, here come the drums. And then, of course, that's also part of the song, because that's the first thing you hear from the song mm -hmm. as right. well. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the name of the album from the Rogue Traders, which is Rogue a, Traders. a band. Uh, I think uh, Australian, New Zealand. I can't remember which. Australian. It was an Australian, Australian. Uh, rock band. Yep. Yep. I, I can't help thinking who let the dogs out at this point, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which would be which would have totally changed this episode. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there are six billion Toglophane coming through this rift, uh, which would make it one for each person uh, yep. on Earth. And the yep. master orders them to decimate the population, which and they use don't know, the word decimate in its historically accurate sense. Yes. Decimate means to literally kill one on every ten. Yeah, because that's that's what uh, Roman generals would do if they thought their troops had dis had not fought sufficiently bravely. They would just kill one in ten at random. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's so. Then we end. That's where we end. Uh, where uh, the Martha Jones, uh, she manages to get off the teleport using the vortex manipulator. I think it is to, mm -hmm, yep. to get off the helicarrier. She's uh, on the run. Uh, while the the Toclophane are decimating the Earth, and uh, we and we get to see these images of people in horror, you know, reacting in horror to these now things showing up yeah. and killing. Here's kind of the stupid thing though about that her teleporting off, you know. So Jack is handing her the thing and saying teleport away. Why didn't he just hit the button and both of them disappear? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't he go with her? That would have been handy to have Jack with all of his experience and and yeah, exactly. But Martha wouldn't get to be. You know, Martha the hero. is the hero. Yeah. And and this is something that's part of Martha's character arc, because when we start, she's a medical student with potential. And we've seen her grow over the course of the series to progressively become more mature and more more capable. And I and I thought it was a very effective moment where she does teleport as the decimation of the human race is occurring and she materializes in this park. And the music swells and she gets this determined look and says, I'm coming back. So, you know, she's not just running. She's on a mission. 
Right. Um, and and she then starts heading off into the woods. And I thought this is the moment where she evolves into an action hero. Right. Which and, we'll and, see. And which we'll see even more of that down the line. Right. Uh, when she comes back with it, it's with, uh, with the, Donna. The Oster, well, the Osterhagen key where yes. she's in a full action hero mode there. Yes. And later when she's married to Mickey. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mickey and her together again, or together for the first time. So, mm -hmm. and that's so that's where we end. Uh, to be continued in the Last of the Time Lords. Uh, we, how will the Doctor ever get out of this uh, predicament he's in? We'll find out. Uh, so, any other notes on this episode before we before we wrap things up? I, I just had one. There's a moment right at the beginning of the episode where the Master is is you know settling into Downing Street, and Tish comes up to him and asks what she's and like hands him some folders or something, and then asks what she's supposed to do. And he very patronizingly says, "Just stand there and look gorgeous." <laughs> and it's like, okay, the casual sexism here is. Off-putting, but also appropriate for his character. Right, yeah, I was going to say that that's exactly fitting for his character. <laughs> right, right. It's uh, it, and it's it's jarring. I mean, it would have been jarring even then, but even now, especially now, given uh, all of the news the last you know uh, year or so, uh, it is jarring to see that. Uh, anything else? Any other notes? Nothing okay. here. So uh, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment, as we as we often do, to thank you, our listeners, but also especially our patrons. Uh, all of our listeners should thank our patrons because it's the patrons who make it possible for us to have Secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, without the patrons supporting us financially, we wouldn't be doing this. It's just not it wouldn't be possible for us to do all of the shows we do at SQPN. So we are very grateful to them. And we want to especially thank this week by name, Stephanie L., Heather C., John T., Victor L., and Tammy L., that's through their generous donations and of all the patrons uh, at sqpn.com slash give. That makes it possible for us to do Secrets of Doctor Who, Secrets of Star Trek, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, and all the shows that we have at Starquest Media. So thank you so much. And if you uh, are able to join them in financially supporting uh, Starquest Media, please go to sqpn.com slash give. Uh, whatever you can do is greatly appreciated. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Sound of Drums, this second of three episodes in this season finale? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback there. Uh, leave a comment. You can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. You, you can follow us on Twitter, as I mentioned before. You can send us a comment there at, at sqpn. We'll be back next time when we will be discussing the episode Last of the Time Lords. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Hey, glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, this country has been sick. This country needs healing. This country needs medicine. In fact, I'd go so far as to say what this country really needs right now is a doctor. Right. This is going to be fun.